All right, New Covenant. We're going to be in Hebrews 8, 7. I've tentatively titled this New Covenant. It's for you too. <laughs> um, so if, if that's any hint, we're going to talk about Gentiles and how we're invited to it. Hebrews 8, 7. <clears throat> it says, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been made, would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now remember that phrase. I'm going to go on, but remember that first part specifically. We're going to start there. Verse 9, Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. <clears throat> because they did not continue in my covenant, and I dis. I disregarded them, says the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after, after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In in that, he says, a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete, uh, now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So he's given us, he's quoting something here, right? See the quotation marks? It's a good hint. He's quoting Jeremiah. So Jeremiah was prophesying of this day to come even way back then, uh, before it actually did happen. And he's quoting Jeremiah thirty-one twenty-eight. You can turn there if you want to. It's very similar in, in what it's saying. And it shall come to pass, verse 28, that as I have watched over them to, to pluck up, to break down, to throw down, to destroy and to afflict, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, says the Lord. In those days they, sh they shall say no more. <clears throat> the fathers have eaten sour grapes and their children's teeth are set on edge. That's a pretty common phrase. You guys use that, right? Yeah. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and their children's teeth are set on edge. I say that to my kids all the time. This was a common, this is a common saying back then, basically, and you heard it a lot through the New Testament when Jesus would go around, they'd say, have you, what, what sins has your father committed, right? Like to, that they would be handed down. This was a common thing because that's how God dealt with people in the old covenant. It was a nation. He dealt with them as a nation. So what the fathers did, the sons reaped. Like it was a bad situation. So that's what he's talking about here, but he's saying, no longer will I say this, verse 30. He's prophesying of the new covenant. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. So what he's saying is, now, the way I related to, to the ancestors, the way I related to Israel in the old covenant is not going to be the same as the new covenant. It's going to be different. So he's, he's giving you a picture of what it's going to look like in the future all the way back from Jeremiah. And this is what's being quoted in Hebrews about this new covenant, that it's going to be different. Verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. This is what, what's being quoted back in Hebrews. Make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I'll write them in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for they all know me 
from the, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sins I'll remember no more. All right, let's back up to verse 29. In those days they shall say no more, the fathers have eaten sour grapes, their children's teeth are set on edge. Like we we're saying, that was, that, was how they were, that was how the old covenant worked was two nations. Have you all ever heard, uh, if my people who are called by my name, we hear that a lot, and for whatever reason, that tries to get plopped into the new covenant, and it's not. The old covenant was full of ifs. If you will, then I will. If you will, then I will. The new covenant's not like that. The new covenant is full of promises and better promises. The new covenant is solid. <laughs> it's not, thankfully, it's not based on you and me. It's not based on what we can do, on our performance. The new covenant is based on what Christ did. God is saying that a day is coming that he'll bring a new covenant and it won't work the same way. In that day, God won't focus on a national level, but on a personal level. That's when he talks about in verse 30, but everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth will be set on edge. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of, of Judah. When he's talking about planting here, he talks about all the destruction and bad things that happened in the old covenant. When he's talking about planting, he's planting a seed in this covenant. He's saying with, with the house of Israel and Judah, the seed he's planting is you and me. He's planting us in the middle of Israel when we don't really even go there. You remember when... Uh, Jesus was walking around, and everyone was, uh, the Gentiles would come up and want them to heal him or heal them. And he would say, don't you know, remember this? I came for the, for, the, for the Israelites, basically. He was saying, I came for the house of Israel so that they could repent. He was, the way God worked, he always cut covenant with Israel, not with Gentiles or with anybody else. He cut covenant with Israel first. So he, did, he didn't do this with us separately. He brought them in first, and then he added us to them. So he's saying this, this, is, this is the way that God does things. He's going to do them in order. God wanted the nation of Israel to repent. That's why Jesus said that over and over and over again. Why was repentance so important to the nation of Israel? Because they had old covenant in their minds. Repentance, you know what repentance means? Metanoia. Change the way you think. Why was that so important specifically to the nation of Israel? Because all they were thinking was Old Covenant. All we know is Egypt and manna and the exile and Levitical law. All we know are all these things. This is what we know, and this is what we know to be true. He had to constantly tell them that there was a new way coming so that they could understand that it wasn't going to be the same that it was before. They, this was so crucial to them because there was about to be a time when their whole world was going to get turned upside down when us goofballs got invited in. I mean, this is a big deal. They had every right to be a little upset about this. They had a heritage. They were Abraham's children, right? I want to talk about a really interesting thing that happened after uh, after this was constantly preached to Israel and constantly preached to the Jews about how all these things were going to be turned upside down and how the Gentiles were going to be invited in, we're going to look at Cornelius in Acts. Does anybody know who Cornelius was? He was, a, he was yeah, I think he was Caesarean, right? He was like an Italian Gentile, right? That makes me like him more. Um, so this guy gets a visit from an angel, and he's told to go find Peter. So he listens, and he goes, and at the same time, Peter gets a vision, says, three men are coming to your house. Go with them. I sent them. It's okay. And in the process of getting that vision, he gets another vision with the sheet and animals and eating. 
And God's telling him, it's okay to eat. And he's like, no, I don't eat anything unclean. And God's saying, what does God say? Don't, don't call unclean what I make clean. Think about that. Cause what, oh, sorry. It's in Acts 10. We're going to start in 34. I'm, I'm going to, for time's sake, I'm going to go through the beginning part. And then we're going to actually read through verse 34. So Acts 10, 34 is where we're going to end up. No problem. I just said Acts. You just have to find it. You should know where this... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I've got it typed out, so don't worry. So, uh, so why, is it, why, why, did, why do you think that this vision came to Peter that he says, don't, don't call uh, something unclean that I call clean? Peter's mind is still trying to reconcile the grace that's in his heart with the law that's in his mind. He still is thinking, he's probably surprised that this guy shows up and he's not a Jew. So Peter, so he goes with this guy, so the Italian, Cornelius. I'm just going to call him the Italian. So he goes with this, this Italian stranger that comes up, and he goes and he meets these people, and we're going to start in, in Acts 10, 34. Then, then Peter shows up, and he's like, well, I guess I should speak. So he starts preaching. So verse 34, he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation. This is huge but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message of God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of the peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Man, that's... Everything that Jesus did, the result is the result of that last phrase, because God was with him. Verse 39, we are witnesses of everything he did in the, country of the, in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, that's the gospel. He just preached the good news. He just preached the good news to Gentiles. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. All Gentiles too. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard him speaking in, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. That is huge. Wu is right. Peter, why, why do you think Peter and his circumcised buddies were, were shocked about this? <laughs> Their thinking was still the other way. They, it says they were amazed at what they had just seen. The Holy Spirit with Gentiles. Those weren't God's chosen people. Those weren't supposed to be the sons of Abraham. Those aren't, they don't deserve it at all. At all. <laughs> That's us. But they got it. And so they were astonished. They were astonished because in Acts 2.17, it says in the last days, this is, they're seeing 
what was in Acts 2.17 play out right in front of their faces. It says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will go. Oh, this is so good. This isn't, this is what's so important. This isn't someday to come in some other last days. The last days here he's talking about are the last days of the old covenant and then the new covenant rushing in. This is happening right in front of their faces, and they're astonished by it. It says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Listen, if you want to fight for equality socially, good for you. Jesus already did it and won. He, Jesus is the greatest advocate for equality there ever was. Even my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. You go down to verse 21, it says, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Everyone. Man. If you can just grasp the gravity of what happened in that moment, everything these guys knew to be true and everything that they were raised to understand about being God's chosen people is turned on its head in that moment. They're seeing people because God didn't cut, like I said, God didn't cut covenant with any other people. He didn't do it. He grafted us in. He says he grafts us in like a vine. So what's that mean to you and I? How do we know that we're sons of God? How do we know that, that we have a lineage? Do we have a lineage? Lineage? I don't come from the house of Judah. I'm not, like, technically Abraham's seed, right? Look at John 1, 12. It says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Galatians 3, 26 says, For you all, oh man, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you, are, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Let that sink in. You guys are heirs of Abraham. If you've received, if you've received Jesus, you are one with him and you are an heir and co-heir with him. This is awesome for us, but it can be an issue. With the, it was an issue with the Jews. Why? If you look at John 8, he kind of talks about it there. He says, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you're not the children of Abraham. So there's a difference there. He's saying that there is no other way. It's only going to be Jesus from now on. He's saying you may be Abraham's descendants biologically, but unless you are in Christ, you're not God's children. That's a problem. That's a problem when all you've known your whole life is I'm God's chosen people. He made a deal with us as a nation. I'm still a part of this old covenant. And he said just a minute ago, this old covenant is passing away. It's going to be obsolete. It's not going to function anymore. That's a huge problem if you're a Jew and your, your whole life is based on an old covenant system, on temporary sacrifices, on things that you can see, touch, and smell. And now, and now Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to come and I'm going to live inside you, and I'm going to give you an internal compass, and I'm going to give you this Holy Spirit. Galatians 6.15 says, Neither circumcised nor uncircumcised means anything. What counts is the new creation. 
peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. You are Abraham's seed. Not because of circumcision, not because of any kind of lineage that you have, but because you're found in Christ. Let's go back to Hebrews 8.10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. So I've got four pillars of this new covenant right here. Number one, you now have an internal compass as the Holy Spirit. There's no more external laws to try to keep you. You now have the very Spirit of God living inside you. You don't have to look to the outside to try to figure this thing out. Jesus said, it's better that I go. Why? Because I'm going to send the comforter to you that's going to lead you and it's going to teach you things. It says, even said, there are things that I want to tell you, but you can't even handle those things, right? There's so many things I want to tell you, but you can't, you, there's no way that you could understand them. Why? Because you don't have the Holy Spirit. You can't fully understand them until you have the Holy Spirit. I think this is one of the more neglected things that we see or that I see in some churches today is that we don't see that we have this internal compass called the Holy Spirit. It's so important that you see that you're not checking him. At, and we say this all the time. You're not checking him at the door. You're not trying to show up here so that you can get something. This should not be the place that you necessarily get something with God. This should be the place that we fellowship together. You should be communing with God every day. Not just in a prayer closet. It's fine if you want to get in a prayer closet. But not just then, but every moment of every day. When the Bible talks about praying without ceasing, he's not just talking about getting on your hands and knees and putting your hands together like this. He's talking about you're now engaged in an ongoing relationship with the Father all the time. And it's better than trying to not mess up. I like, you guys, you know I like cars, right? I'm into like anything with an engine. I'm just into it. The, the, <laughs> spoiler alert. It's, if all you do is try to avoid ditches all day, driving is no fun. It's stressful. But if you actually enjoy the ride a little bit, driving can be kind of fun. I like, I have a Jeep and I like taking the doors off. I don't know why, it just is freeing for me. And it's enjoyable. And I'm not just trying to avoid getting to an accident. I mean, I hope I don't because I'd probably fly out the door. But I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying it. This is why the Bible tells us that you're not just going to have life, but you're going to have it more abundantly. Why? Because you're not alone anymore. How many, here's, how many of you have ever been in a room of, I mean, this is a good example, of 7,500 people or whatever, but you, but you feel like you're all alone? Right? No one wants to feel alone. I'm telling you, that you're never alone. <laughs> you get to have Christ all the time. And he does lead you. He's not just there to slap your hand when you do something stupid. I mean, he can. He has every right to. And he, and he only does that to prevent you from hurting yourself. But man, the Holy Spirit is so much more than that. So much more than just trying to keep you from doing something stupid. Now, I'm glad that he does that. And he's very good at it. Extremely good at it. That's why I say it. Why would he go through all the trouble of, of sacrificing his son to forgive sins, give us new life, and send us, send us this Holy Spirit to make it really confusing? He doesn't. I guarantee you, if we sat down and had a conversation, and you said you had made some mistake, you would not say the Holy Spirit led you to do that. I guarantee it. I've had conversations. I'm 40. I don't even know how old I am. 44, I think. I'm 44, and I've had lots of conversations with lots of people, and I've never, not once have I heard someone say, the Holy Spirit led me to do this dumb thing. Never, not once. What I have heard is over and over again how 
I was going down this path, and God had a better way. <laughs> and I said, okay, God, you have a better way, and I go this way, and it's good. That's always the case. The Old Covenant was full of externals, laws. Uh, they used to have do the little box, and they would put laws in the box in their forehead and their wrist. They had, to, they had to remind themselves of doing these things every day. Have you ever been nagged? <laughs> Everybody's touching their husband. <laughs> I saw four people like, mm. <laughs> nagging someone to do something is not real productive. <laughs> I'm not trying to meddle in his business. I'm just saying, <laughs> nagging someone to do something is not as productive as loving someone into, <laughs> into doing something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to okay it's just the thunder okay maybe we, maybe we should move on in other words let's, let's, let's get to the point of that analogy is the law <laughs> quick quick, quick. <laughs> the law is good and just and righteous <laughs> it just doesn't have the power to make you good and just and righteous but love and grace does why because that produces in you a genuine desire to do good all the, all the, and I tell, I've told you over and over again, all the, gear, the few years that I went to like whatever ministry school that I went to to make people feel uncomfortable in Walmart about their sins, now, I didn't care about any of those people. It breaks my heart, but I did not care about any of those people. I was just doing it because I thought it was what I was supposed to do, and God would be mad if I didn't do it. How much more awesome is it that I can love people and build relationship with people and see the Lord work in their lives, and, it, and it, you can see it, you can be a part of it, and you genuinely care. It's so much better. This new covenant is so much better than the old one. It's not just the sacrifice of sins that's now done and over with and Jesus is seated. That's an awesome thing. But it's the continuation where he says, now I've sent you my Holy Spirit and I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And you don't have to go to a temple. Now you're a temple. You don't have to go to the Holy of Holies. I've created this mansion, this house in your heart. I've put a deposit of my kingdom. This is what John told them to repent because the kingdom was coming. Hey, you guys repent, the kingdom's coming. And Jesus said, ha ha, it's here. Jesus didn't say, repent for the kingdom of God is coming. He said, repent because the kingdom is here. Where I go, my kingdom goes. And when he left, he said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to come back. And, I'm, and when I come back, I'm going to come personally, not as a nation, not corporately. I'm going to come personally, and I'm going to come to live with you. And I'm going to lead you into these things. I'm going to show you the right way. Things that you could never, listen, how many of you have got revelation that you could never learn on your own? Oh my gosh. That's why he said, I want to, Jesus was so genuine. He was like, I want to tell you these things. And he didn't say this, but I know he was thinking, but you guys are kind of dumb. <laughs> You're really set in your ways, right? You've got your laws, you've got your systems, and even the ones that didn't, even Gentiles, we could say this today. He'd love to, and this is why, this is why when someone's not born again, they can't fully understand what, what, what we have. This is why I always get frustrated when people expect lost people to act like us. Don't, don't be ridiculous. I've had people sit down with me and, and, and like have a drink, and they're like, is this okay? I'm like, I mean, is it okay with you? I don't know. Why, why are you looking at me for that? Don't, this is a sidebar. Don't, well, two, this is two-stage sidebar. Don't expect lost people to, to understand things fully like you do. At the same time, don't expect saved people to experience everything the same way you experienced it. Back to the sandwich metaphor. 
everyone, everyone receives differently and, and everyone is gifted in different areas and will manifest in a different way. I cry. I'm not crazy about it. I wish I didn't <laughs> sometimes. But when, when I recognize how good God is and how I always go, I, I think about the scripture, those that have been forgiven much, love much. It's raining. I don't know how much you've been forgiven, <laughs> but I've been forgiven much. And I, I have a hard time, I have a hard time accepting how good God is to me because I've, I've, I don't deserve it. I know up here, like, I know that I'm okay and I know God loves me, but in my heart sometimes I just feel like, how, how is that even possible? How can God love me so much when even, like, even today, I will, I will somehow mess up. I will fall short in some way. I know I will. And with the best intentions, I will fall short, but God still loves me. And when I think about that, I just stop crying. I don't know why. You may not, and that's okay. Like I said, that's a sidebar. Be careful trying to, trying to force your experience on someone else. Now, it's okay to encourage other people to have an experience and, and see a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in their lives. For sure, do that. Pray for that. Encourage them in that. But just be careful not trying to paint that picture and what that looks like for them because it may not be the same way that you, you did it or you received it. All right, back to the pillars. That was one. Pillar two. Our God is unconditional now. There's no more ifs. We talked about this earlier. There's no more if you will do this, I will do this. God removed the conditions in the new covenant. Jesus never qualified people for grace. And there was only one in all the scripture that I can see. There was only one that asked about eternal life that didn't receive it. And it was a rich young ruler. And you remember what he started with? How can I? What must I do? The, the thing we talk about when we talk about our church, even specifically, is we've had some elders meeting lately and talk about what our church is about. We are a very Christ-centered church. We're Christocentric in how we believe that everything from Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The reason that's so important is because we've seen over and over and over again how self-referential, I don't want to call it Christianity because that's, that's a self-refuting statement, but self-referential churchianity, I guess you could call it, causes lots of issues because it bases everything on us. It's the whole guy shooting arrows into the barns and then painting bullseyes around them. We can't create this thing around us and, and, and try to paint this picture and draw it outside of what, who Christ is to us and, and how he works in and through us. One of the most difficult things sometimes is to see how Christ loves us unconditionally, so we have to love other people unconditionally. That sounds good, but have you ever tried to do that? Have you? Is it easy? No, it's not. We, we by nature, want to place conditions on our affection and our love for people. That's called transactional. This is how I grew up. You do for me, I do for you. I call it hustle. You hustle people. Not just with money. You hustle people with your affection, with your attention, with, or, or lack thereof, even. That's not how God's work. That's not how God works. 
Agape love, by definition, is unconditional love. You don't possess it until he gives it to you. That's why you can't be taught to do this. You have to receive that unconditional love to give it to other people. It's the, the other analogy. You have to have $10,000 in your pocket to give it away. You have to have God's unconditional love to share it with other people. That's why he works in and through us. We're conduits, not reservoirs. Number three, there's no hierarchy, no special access. Praise God. You don't have to come to me. Man, obviously, I need your prayer as much as you need mine. You don't have to come to me or any other pastor or priest to pray for you. You have direct access to the Father by way of the Holy Spirit. All of you, at any given moment, can pray. I don't mind praying for you, and it's good that we pray for one another, but I'm telling you, you have direct access to the Father. What an awesome thing. There's no, this is the man of God, and you have to come to him. And, and this is, that's how cults start. <laughs> and there's a lot of, I don't know how, there's a lot of cults out there that may not look like cults, but they're cults because it's a cult of personality. Man, I hope y'all don't build a cult around my personality. Hebrews 8.11 says, None of them shall teach his neighbor and none, of his, none, none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. He's not saying don't teach each other. That's not what he's saying there. He's just saying that you'll all know me. You don't have to go to someone else to know me. You can know me directly. And he even says there, from the least to the greatest. So he says, uh, back in Matthew 11, he says, whoever is the least of the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. He says, John the Baptist was awesome. He was, the, he was great. But just the least in this kingdom is greater than him. Why? Because he was part of an old covenant. You're part of a new covenant. The least of us in this, this new covenant is greater than anybody that would have been in the old covenant because the old covenant was based on their performance. The new covenant is based on Christ. Do you think that's better? Yes. I'll answer that. Number four, God is merciful. No more remembrance of sins. Hebrews 8, 12, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, God was in Christ reconciling the world back to himself, not counting their sins against them. Now you be reconciled to God. You'll never be reconciled to God if you think that your, your sins are being counted against you. If you think that you have to confess all of your sins, I want to free you up today. Can you remember all of your sins? Can any of you remember every single one of your sins? No. That's why it doesn't say to confess your, every one of your sins. It says confess sin in general and then you're born again. But then it goes on to say confess your sins one to another. Why? Because that benefits us. It's the whole grace unplugged thing. We need to talk about it. We need to know that other people are struggling with what we struggle with. That's why we confess our sins one to another. If you think that you have to confess every one of your sins, like come up to this stage and confess every single one of your sins, you're in, you're in bad shape. Because not one of us can even remember them all to confess them. Once again, that places it back on our shoulders that we have to do it. Listen, performance-based churchianity will crush you under its weight. It's what the law is designed to do. The letter of the law does what? It, ultimately, it kills. It does its work to bring you to a place that you say, I can't do this, and you reach out to a God that can. And he's, he doesn't say, okay, well, I'm going to give you a list of things that you need to do, right? 
He doesn't say that. What does he say when they ask, what, what must we do to inherit eternal life? What works must we do? Plural. And he says, the work, singular, is to believe on me. One, one thing you need to do is believe on him. And you believe on him, what happens? He gives you a spirit. Boom. And us goofball Gentiles get the spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead to live in us like we're Dixie cups walking around with the Holy Spirit. We're fragile. We're weak. But that power he talks about when the Holy Spirit comes, it will manifest in some way, shape, or form. It will. And it's an amazing thing. It's a relational thing that demonstrates to you who you are to God and who he is to you. In the old covenant, God would bless and protect you if you held up your end of the bargain. In the new covenant, there's no more ifs. There's only promises. And they're better promises, as we're told. That rain is so loud. That's the loudest rain I've ever heard. You guys have better promises than they had in the old covenant. You have better promises than Israel had in the old covenant. You and I, were even from, I love to see us even being grafted in before it even happened all the way back from Jeremiah when he was saying, there is something coming that's going to be even greater than what's going on right now. And I love that Peter got to witness the very thing he preached about before. He's like, wow, this is what we were talking about. This is the vision I got when God said, don't call things that are clean, unclean. I, I determined that. You guys have heard the story when I've got a, a specific denominational background that had certain ways that you had to do things and none of those things happened the way that I was taught that they should happen. <laughs> Oddly enough, they happened exact opposite as I thought they would happen. In a church that I thought was dead, in a different denomination that I thought God can't work, God, God doesn't move over there. <laughs> we have corporate prayer and we speak in tongues and we jump up and down and we run the aisles and we do all this stuff. God, they don't do that at that church, so God's not moving over there. And none of the stuff that I thought that God would do in me happened at that church, but it happened at the other church that I thought was dead. And I, I think it's awesome because God was like, ha ha, you don't call unclean what I call clean. You don't, you don't say where I move and how I work. I always think back to, uh, to, uh, to Job. <laughs> he allowed him to even question him, which is amazing. And he was like, Who, where were you <laughs> when I did all these things? Who were you to question me how I work? When, I, when I, I rushed aisle after aisle and I prayed my guts out and I confessed sins that I thought maybe I might have done, I'm, I'm being dead serious. I would just say, I think I might have thought this thought. Maybe that's holding me up. Maybe that's why you're not doing the things that I think you should do in me. And God was just holding back because he knows better. Because if he would have given me that, it would have been because I earned it. Like, I confessed the sins, I did all the things, and all this stuff, but no, he said, no, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. Here you go. Ha ha. <laughs> that's, that's one way I know that God has a sense of humor. The other way is he created me and I have a sense of humor, so God has a sense of humor. But I love, but that doesn't mean that's going to happen the same way in you, and it doesn't mean that it did happen the same way. It may have been completely different. It doesn't matter. What matters is it wasn't based on what you could do. It's a gift. God gives gifts when he wants to give them. He, he says at the end of Galatians when he says, I give you gifts as I determine. 
And I love that he does that in this new covenant, not for your benefit, although you benefit from it, but for the benefit of others. So your gift is determined by what someone else needs, not necessarily what you need. I love that because it takes us out of the equation because we will screw it up. Look at history. We're pretty good at it. But God gives us a gift when he knows that it's right for us because he's a good father. I wouldn't give my kid an AR-15 and say, go play. Right? An AR-15 is powerful. But I would wait for the right time. I would teach them. I would help them understand it. And I would say, don't shoot me or something. You know what I mean? (laughs) I would teach them the right way to do it. And then I would show them. He does the same thing with the gifts that he gives. I don't know if you give AR-15s, but I'm just saying, as an example, (laughs) I've chased that rabbit long enough, but I'm just saying that God, God knows what you need before you even ask him for it. So when you do, he's, he's listening. He's not ignoring you. He may just be waiting for the right time to give it to you. This whole new covenant relationship that we have is built on a relationship that we have with the Father, not your ability to perform for him. We're not slaves anymore. We're sons. The only thing we're slaves to now is righteousness because of what he did. And as sons and daughters, you get to have this new covenant. But not only that, you get to fling it as passionately and as, as awesome as you want to every day. I love the analogy of casting seeds. You get to cast seeds all day, every day. It's not your job to make them grow. Only God can do that. Take what he gives you in this new covenant and give it to everybody you come in contact with in any way, shape, or form. It doesn't have to be here. It doesn't have to be... There doesn't have to be this perfect scenario. There's no perfect formula. That's why I love how Jesus healed differently every single time so that we wouldn't make a pattern out of it. So if you need to spit in the mud and rub it in somebody's eye, do that. You may not need to. If you need to just tell them, go, go. Why? Because it's based on the relationship that he had with each individual. It wasn't a corporate thing. It wasn't this formula that you had to make. All right. Um... That's all I got. But I do, I would like for you guys to continue to pray for us and our church and some other friends that I have that are in the ministry. One of the, one of the more difficult things for me that I didn't know when I signed up for this thing <laughs> was I'm, I'm very transparent, obviously. I just blurt out things, and I'm open about my life and sometimes too much with our family's life and our life and I'm okay with that but part of being a pastor is I can't do that all the time I can't just tell everybody's business all the time especially people even outside of the church and so I'm not trying to make you feel bad for me at all but that does come with a weight and I've been carrying that weight for a while and I can't just come up here and say all those things you know that's just you can't do that and so I hurt, you know, the Bible talks about celebrating with people when they celebrate and mourn with people when they mourn. I've just had a lot of mourning lately because I've had a lot of friends that are just going through some things and hurting and families and, and, and good, I mean, good godly people too. Are just, they're just going through some things. And you guys, I mean, you guys may be at the same time and, and it, it, it hurts. And I mean, we were talking to my office earlier and I was like, I know I know that God's got this, and I totally trust in him, but the hurt's still there. I still see the hurt, and I still feel it deeply. And most of the time, I'm pretty good, but occasionally I, I fall apart. 
and it's and it's okay. And I hope I hope that for for whatever it's worth, that I, I don't know that maybe me falling apart will help you be okay falling apart. I don't know. I'm trying to be a good pastor. That's all. <laughs> but just just keep us in your prayers because it, it it can be heavy at times, and it's difficult. And on top of all that, you have basic practical things that just fall apart in the church that you have to fix, like air conditions and and things like that. And pray for Buddy because his septic system backed up this morning, so he is literally in a pile of poop right now. now I don't know if he really is, but he, he they're in a bad way. So I told him if he needed anything, and he was like, well, I don't deal in septic, so I'm calling somebody. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I got a shovel, but I don't know what else to do. Um, so I, I don't want to just declare this is some attack from the enemy, but if it is, I want to call it out and say that it's not going to win and that we're more than overcomers in Christ, and I'm not... I'm not at all, like, shaken by it. I don't think that our church is going to be stopped or messed up because of it. But I will say, I'll call it out for what it is. If it is an attack from the enemy, I'll declare as, as a son that it's not going to work. It may be an attempt, but I know, man, I know, without a shadow of a doubt, that God is, that Jesus is seated and that it is finished and that we have work to do and we're going to continue doing it. So... All right, stand up with me. I'll pray for you guys. Do we clap? Do we not clap? What do we do? I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> uh, Father, I thank you that um, Lord, that we were created to be in a garden. And Lord, we know that that deposit has been made in our hearts, but we still live in this fallen world. So Lord, as we long to be close to you, we know that we are. And as we long to know you better, we know that you know us better than we know ourselves. Lord, submitting to you is not an act of, um, of fear or intimidation, but it's an act of trust in knowing that you have a better way for us. And so, Lord, in all these different situations that are just, just swirling around in my head and my heart, and even anybody in this place that's just dealing with some things and, and trying to find a way through uh, through life. Lord, I pray that you would just line us up. Lord, like, uh, like a puzzle, you're just placing pieces together so that we can see clear what you have for us. And so we do openly submit to you in your way. Lord, we are yours. We are your people. We are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. Lord, we are now Abraham's seed, chosen by you to be loved and to love you back and to love others in your name. Lord, help us to see it for that reality. Help us to see that when we leave this place for everyone we come in contact with. Lord, we love you and we praise you today. In Jesus' name, amen.